0: Welcome to Man Talk, the podcast that's normalising the conversation about men's mental health. I'm your host Jamie Day and you can find me on Instagram at A in the Life dad. and you can hear more about my own mental health journey in series one of Man Talk. This show is made in support of the Movember Foundation, who are changing the face of men's health and fund life-changing and groundbreaking mental health projects around the world. You can read more about these over at movember.com. Mantalk is sponsored by Mojave's, who produce footwear for time well spent. Anyone who knows me or has followed my journey online will know how much I love the brand and their products. Their messaging really promotes me time, unwinding, and self-care, which we all know with the challenges of everyday life is so important for our mental health. So thank you, Mahabis. This week I'm at the Movember headquarters in London with Sarah Coghlan, who is a global director of the charity. Sarah has been at Movember since it formed in 2003, and has seen it rise from a laugh in a pub to a foundation that's changed thousands of men's lives impacted by cancer and more recently mental health. Sarah details Movember's journey. And she was also loaded with a wealth of knowledge around mental health, which I think we'd all find incredibly useful. Here's Man Talk. Sarah, hello. Hi. Nice to meet you. Jamie. Thanks for coming on Man Talk. You're welcome. Um, So we're here in your fabulous office, Movember.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. It's very cool. And we're going to talk about Movember have now taken on the mental health message and the things you're doing to raise mental health awareness and support different people around the world. But we'll start with just kind of where you fit into it all, how you've got sure. involved with Movember. Because um, obviously, Movember's been going for about 15 years now. It has, um, a
1: lot longer than any of us sort of probably thought at the yeah. beginning. Yeah.
0: I remember doing Movember, I remember growing moustache in my early 20s. So that would have been, I think I did maybe the first one. And it's incredible. Like, just it's still going, still such a
1: big thing. Kind of so. have to pinch. It's one of those pinch yourself kind yeah. of stories because. Um, it was a silly idea in a pub on a Saturday afternoon in Melbourne yeah. in Victoria in Australia um, in 2003, a um, couple of mates sitting around having a couple of beers and a couple more recognising that things come in and out of fashion and they were reflecting on Now You've got to remember this is before an ironic hipster movement in London occurs many years later. In um, Australia in 2003, the only people wearing moustaches were probably men over the age of 75 um, and our sporting heroes from years gone by and other kind of political figures. So the boys all kind of commented that they'd never grown a moustache and they had all these sort of their fathers had had them, their grandfathers and their sort of heroes wondered what they would look like. So what started as a silly challenge to meet in a pub The next month for one of the guys birthdays um to shave clean start the month take some polaroids we i think 30 of us met in that pub took polaroid photos put them up around the wall and agreed that we would come back at the end of that month which happened to be november and in australia a mustache is called a mo because We like to turn everything into slang in short versions. Um, Renamed it Movember, uh, agreed we'd meet back at the end of that month and take a photo and see how much progress people had made in a month. And that is the birth story of what has gone on to be a billion-dollar campaign, which has raised a significant Mm -hmm. amount of money. A billion dollars is a huge amount of money. But more importantly, really driven a shift in men's health, um, men taking action and engaging in this topic of both mental and physical health, um, and significantly improved the kind of infrastructure around some of these causes, to be able to put that much money into biomedical research, programs for men living with and beyond cancer, and then think about some of our protective and upstream work in mental health prevention and suicide prevention.
0: Um, So obviously you're famous for the massages, and when that first began, it was based around raising awareness and raising money for prostate cancer, wasn't it?
1: It was. I and testicular
0: cancer, am I right?
1: No, it not at the beginning. At yeah, the so off the success of walking around for a month, and it wasn't. That 2003 year was literally just for fun. Yeah. There was no cause. There was no charity. Um, at the end of that month, the boys came back together. We laughed at their very shabby moustaches. Um, but the boys had been given money, and I remember being with JC in a restaurant, and someone stopped him and sort of said, What are you doing, mate? What's that thing on your face? He had a very ginger moustache, which probably caused more attention. And um, the guy went, "Here's twenty bucks. That's hilarious." And so when we met right. at the end of that month, we had four hundred and sixty-five dollars that had just been randomly given to the boys. And I suppose four really individual, very different mates sat down at the end of that that time. And in, I remember in the January, we booked a house up on the coast, sat down, and went, "Do you know what? There's something in this. This started conversations. People noticed us. It gained attention." we should do this but we should do it more formally for a cause we should attach it to something that needs some attention and Mm -hmm. so we did some research prostate cancer was killing as many men at that point in australia as breast cancer was women and there was no campaigning around it there was hardly any kind of money in that space and so that's how the cause kind of came about as the first cause that was truly gendered because only men have prostates um and it made sense for the boys at that point to raise money for prostate cancer testicular cancer we evolved when we Moved to the UK in 2008. Um, there was some work going on here already mm-hmm. um, at the uh, ICR here in London looking at the genetic links between men with testicular cancer fathers and brothers. And that was a really interesting project being run there um, that matched up with some of our prostate cancer work. And given the demographic of our audience is quite young, it made sense to add a, a, a more young-focused cause and testicular cancer yeah. is large, the second um, largest killer of young men and is likely to hit between the ages of 15 and 40. So yeah. raising some awareness and some general attention but then also investing in some biomedical research. So yeah. testicular cancer came second And then in around about 2010 in Australia, given the phenomenal success of the campaign, we had raised a significant amount of money that was now going into building out that prostate cancer portfolio. And so instead of just continuing to fund that, the boys took the time to sort of sit down and, and reevaluate what impacts they were having, but also to assess what else was coming down the line that really mattered to men. Yeah. And actually, whilst none of them had had a direct connection with prostate cancer or testicular cancer, they'd all lost mates to suicide. And not surprisingly, given the statistics we see around the world, um, men fear really badly in those suicide statistics. Yeah. Around about 75% of all suicides are men and at a young age. These guys in their late 20s and 30s, as founders, had all lost mates to suicide that they didn't see that coming. Mm. Um, so it made sense for mental health to be the next big investment focus for us.
0: Back in Australia, was there much stigma around mental health? Like, obviously, we talk about yeah. it a lot in the UK. What was yeah. it like in Australia back then in 2010?
1: Well, I think about it, and I don't think you could find a more quintessential um, stereotype of a bloke right. than an Aussie bloke. Yeah, yeah. If you think, if we can crack that, we can probably crack anything. Um, we've kind of got the stiff upper lip version in the in the british kind of cultural stereotypes but in australia you've got your paul hogan you know stoic incredibly um, mas- hyper-masculine playing yeah. out. So stigma, absolutely, and stigma reduction was really a big focus of our initial investments with a big partner there called Beyond Blue. And actually tracking that shift over the last nine years, you've seen a significant decrease in stigma around mental health conditions, particularly depression and anxiety, and yeah. a much greater population understanding of the fact that those things can affect us all.
0: Yeah, and- the, the money you were raising, what you actually doing with that money in – in terms of supporting programs or supporting people individually, what kind of stuff are you doing?
1: So, um, in the prostate cancer, so we have different bodies, independent bodies that help us then execute those funds, um, which is best practice for any charity. So, in prostate cancer, we're investing in biomedical research to better understand the disease. To better understand, uh, prostate cancer is a really complicated type of cancer, and in fact, when we started this journey, we it was not even yet known the molecular makeup of of prostate cancer and the various types. We now know there are somewhere in the vicinity of about 47 different types of prostate cancer. What we still don't know um, is the answer to what type of cancer you have. You could have what they call a pussycat. You could have a a diagnosis of a prostate cancer tumor that is never going to grow or kill you and you will die an old man of something else. You could have a tiger, and that tiger will be very aggressive and have killed you within two or three years of that diagnosis. Problem with that is if we can't tell at the point of diagnosis which cancer you have, you see huge amounts of overtreatment and men then having surgery and radiation and chemotherapy that has massive side effects that attack the very core of what it is to be a man, impotence, incontinence, um, and living with those side effects and maybe regretting the treatment decisions they made, not ever knowing if the cancer they had was as aggressive as needed that treatment. Mm. So, you know, these are the complexities we're kind of dealing with in a prostate cancer world. So large investments, I think we're at about $450 has been invested into biomedical projects around the world. We've got 1,200 active programs we've invested in across the gamut from biomedical research through to what is traditionally called survivorship. So a man living with prostate cancer, how do we make sure he has a better quality of life? Mm Um, right through to our prevention work in mental health. So our mental health focus is really upstream. There are fantastic organisations working in the more crisis end of mental health. We're really focused on the protective factors. How Mm. can we build those protective factors so less men end up at a crisis point? So that's our focus with our work in, in mental health. And at the moment, I think of those projects. There's about 120 active live projects around the world focusing on different populations of men who are at risk as well as different approaches for those men.
0: Obviously I came to your uh, evening the other night and it was incredible to see the programs you have in place. Thank you. And obviously you've got things from boxing to football Mm -hmm. and then even ones like pie making. Incredible. And I think that's what really made me sit back and realise the kind of amazing what you're doing. because. A man obviously finds it incredibly difficult to speak up. That's everyone knows that. But, you know, put them in a situation where they're relaxed, you know, talking about mates with, about the football or standing side to side making a pie. What an incredible place to be to just. Start that conversation. You know, yeah. so it, those... doesn't have, it doesn't have to be a therapy session. It's just to get that weight off your shoulders and start the conversation and start addressing issues. And yeah, it's incredible.
1: I like um, I use this saying a lot with the team around health by stealth, and with men, that's really what we're trying to do. Acknowledge that men don't access and and utilize traditional health services in the way women do. And there's we could talk for another hour as to why men don't mm. do that. But recognising that they largely don't, how can we make sure that there are other options when it comes to protecting and improving those wellbeing factors that decrease more severe issues around mental health? And so social connection is a really big focus for us. We know that the depth and breadth of friendships throughout quality of relationships throughout your life, um, and there are many, many studies, including the Harvard Longitudinal Study, that all point to both the physical and mental health benefits that are overwhelming when it comes to social connections so focusing on building and improving social connections for men Mm -hmm. if you look at middle-aged men the middle years men are are probably one of the most at-risk groups when it comes to mental health and Men don't foster and nurture their relationships through those middle years, and a lot mm. of men hit a crisis point. Maybe they lose their job, or their relationship breaks down, or they become a father for the first time. These are recognised points in a man's life which are particularly hard, um, and they look around and they don't really have mm. anyone. And it kind of is a bit of a reality check. And I, I often. Um, talk to this in, in various corporate environments where more women tend to come along to well-being um, events that i was speaking at, but always speaking about men's health. And you see this realization pass over women's faces going, you're right, my husband doesn't so right. have or my partner doesn't have the same number of friends. In fact, they're my friends that we hang yeah. out with or the, the social network is largely managed and curated by the female partner. And
0: That's so so true.
1: It's really important. Yeah. It is the greatest thing you can do for your health in yeah. the long term is to have mates to spend yeah. time with people who make you feel good.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm the cliche. I've kind of you know back in my teens, twenties, I had lots and lots of friends. Now, knocking forty, and I can count my close friends on one hand. And do I make enough effort to see them and speak to them? No, you know. And so, but I, I'm on top of my mental health. But if someone else isn't, this is yeah. going to be a key time with no one to reach out to
1: and some of our really at risk communities men who may have been out of work for a really long time mm. or if you think about a man going through a relationship breakdown particularly with children involved it's an incredibly isolating moment yeah. you've got financial pressure um, and you've got immediate isolation from that social network that you've relied on and so there's a much higher risk of depression and anxiety you've got an increased risk of suicidality at, or at least suicidal thought mm. and real ne- really no support network around those men as well as we talk about stigma a lot but there's also a job in understanding our risk points and a man going through a divorce is recognized to be 75 75% of men going through divorce suffer some form of depression so in normalizing the fact that you're probably not going to do that well through that point in time Gives men that kind of permission, if you like, to not be okay. I think Mm -hmm. we use this language where it's okay to not be okay sometimes. Um, And that's a big thing for men to let that be okay.
0: Yeah, if they are struggling, people will be looking out for them as well. You know, that's an important thing that our support network, whether that's friends or family, if that guy is going through a divorce or, you know, lost their job, just to help reach out for them as well.
1: Yeah, watching their behavior. So, You know, if your mate usually comes to a pub for quiz night on a Tuesday or is usually at the gym three days a week and he hasn't been turning up, Mm -hmm. I think often we sort of can make excuse, oh, they're busy or whatever, but there are behavioural triggers that you can be watching out for. One of the really interesting ones is, you know, of the five critical points in a man's life, the one that doesn't get talked about a lot is becoming a new father. Mm -hmm. And becoming a father is considered, you know, like all parenting, a joyous moment and something to be celebrated and there's a huge amount of attention on women, both pre and post that moment in time, rightly so. But nobody really thinks about or is catering to the enormous needs of men at that point. Yeah. Again, it can be incredibly isolating. There's huge financial pressure. Um, and this sense of where do I belong? I've lost my social network that yeah. was largely linked to being single or uh, non child, um, life. And now I've got this relationship with my partner that's slightly altered i'm the only person probably earning at that point for that first six months at least in a traditional environment and i feel incredibly lonely and i don't feel like i can talk to anyone about it because i'm supposed to be at the happiest this is supposed to be the happiest thing that ever happened to me yeah so a big part of our focus is fathers as a priority population because that is a point that is recognized to be quite critical in mental health
0: so how are you reaching out to those fathers what kind of things you got in place
1: so we're building um off the back of some of our early work. So in our mental health portfolio, we've been investing in a lot of what's considered research projects um, across a lot of settings and a lot of different populations. And two years ago we made a shift in our strategic focus to now really sort of, I guess, um lay some pretty heavy bets against where we're seeing that what's working. And instead of continuing to f- sort of foster new learning, we are doing small pockets of that. We're really looking to scale what's working to more men. And so we've invested in three fathers' projects around the world that were delivered through research environments, have now proven themselves to be incredibly effective for the men that they they tested on. And so we want to scale those. So we have a large focus on digital products, digital interventions, mm-hmm. things that will be available at scale for low cost so that is kind of a really big focus for
0: us in the future and with your programs whether it's you know pie making or football whatever it is yeah. how can men get involved in these is there like a database a kind of source on your website or
1: yeah it's not a lot of them are, when they're research projects they're somewhat closed off the projects that you're talking about social innovation challenge pie club is open access mm-hmm. the boxing futures one is open access and the scottish football league yeah. so there are pockets of those and by all means go to Movember.com and you'll be able to find those under the men's health section of what we're working on. We want to see more of that type of work fostered. So a big part of the social innovation project is catalyzing that work and seeing more ideas come through. So that's a really interesting pipeline of activity. That project is a really interesting one, the one you came and listened to because we've got 13 projects around the world. And they were largely submitted by the likes of you, you know, people who are in the community looking at the problem and coming up with solutions. So mm-hmm. non-academic approaches, non-research approaches, but we've put some research and rigour around those those sort of projects like pie making to see if we can prove up the efficacy or the impact of those, yeah. that work so we can see more of it happen.
0: Yeah. I th- as I said, I thought it was an inspiring evening and just to – it was nice to see a room full of so many men from all walks of life. They yeah. were, you know – Young men, old men, men in suits, men, you know, just Yeah, on a, on a beautiful
1: look. sunny May afternoon. Yeah, it was, it was pretty good, and wasn't it? It was
0: hugely inspiring and I like that everyone was so open And because I've been to mental health events and literally being the only guy in the room. So to be in a room full of 50 other men, was it, maybe more? 60, I think, 60, Incredible. That's incredible, and, you know.
1: Yeah, I think the other thing to say to that is – um It's commonly used as a bit of an adage that men don't talk. The truth is men do talk, and I've experienced this many, many times over for the last 15 years. When the environment is right, when men feel they can be vulnerable, Mm. men are only too happy to open up and talk. It's just that we're not designing things through a male lens and thinking about what works for men, and that's really the focus of a large part of our work is thinking about where are men already gathering, how are men engaging with each other, we know that men don't really like talking face to face like Mm -hmm. you and i are right now it's quite difficult for men to open up in that traditional way men talk whilst shoulder to shoulder they talk whilst walking down a fairway or sitting at the football um so we all have a role to play in facilitating and making sure more of those moments are being made available to men
0: yeah i mean it's funny you say that you know men do talk shoulder to shoulder it's hard to look into another man's eye and open up even when i saw my therapist our chairs were kind of slanted side to side like to the side so I was sitting on a therapist shoulder to shoulder rather than having to directly look at her because yeah. it's quite uncomfortable for a man who's, you know, opening up. Vulnerability you know, is yes, really big for yeah. men. And in terms of men that you've come across, are there any particular examples of men who have been, you know, literally at the bottom and have come out the other side because of the work you're doing, you know? or
1: Absolutely, yeah. every day. Yeah. yeah, we see that in everything from youth projects with disadvantaged communities in Alabama to um, what we see coming out of the pie club as well as projects with cancer. It is, again, this making, building a a trusted environment, having designed that from the start through a lens that makes sense to men and using language in that environment that appeals to men. Men don't tend to gravitate towards words like help, they tend to want to take action. So don't ask a man um, how to seek help. Ask a man how to take action. Show a man how to take action. And that even subtle shifts like that can make a massive difference. Amazing.
0: You just touched on cancer again, just going back to cancer. Obviously, a man who is suffering with cancer and, you know, dealing with that, the mental health impact after that, is that a lot of the work you do as well? Yeah,
1: it is actually. Again, we're tapping into the... the the physical manifestation of masculinity, your balls. Like we use that language all the time, don't we? Oh, you've got no balls or you've got balls. Grow some balls. Yeah, yeah, grow some balls, um, grab your balls, whatever that is. It's very much a physical manifestation of masculinity. And so – To have a young man quite quickly, testicular cancer has a really is the opposite of prostate cancer in many ways. Very high survivorship rate, very clear pathway from the point of diagnosis. In fact, you can be diagnosed on a Friday afternoon and be in surgery on Monday or Tuesday, having an an orchidectomy and having a testicle removed. And have really good prognosis from there. The thing that happens is those men are young, taken at prime of life sort of statement, um, thrust through a cancer journey and chucked out the other end. And mm-hmm. it's sort of like, well, how wonderful, you've got high rate of success cure it off you go yeah. and they're not really given much support beyond that point so uh, we have a big project in testicular cancer true north which is about those men then being able to talk to someone else who's been through that journey those men understanding the, the kind of realities of what they've been through before going back into their normal lives and yeah. that's really really important
0: do men have an opportunity obviously you don't have a helpline or anything like that can men directly like on an individual basis get in touch with Movember or oh, do they? Yeah.
1: You... You, okay. uh, you can contact Movember through the Website at any stage, and,
0: you, and can they sort of ask for help? And would you then point them? Yeah.
1: So we would signpost them at okay. that point, depending on what it is. And in okay. some cases, we do actually have live projects that can help. So okay. later this year, we'll release an open access, um, True North open access. So any man with prostate cancer can upload their diagnosis, all of their statistics, and manage their own disease right. from okay. that point on. Okay. So that's going to be an incredible tool for men. Amazing. Um, yeah. Testicular cancer the same. The app is now live. If a man you know has testicular cancer, has been diagnosed. So you can download that app, and he can track his own journey and ask questions in that app, and be connected to somebody who's had a similar diagnosis or is at a similar point of their journey to have that peer to peer support. Brilliant. So within projects, there, there is definitely that okay. offering.
0: And then just to finish up, and it's obviously the big question: in your opinion, why do you think stigmas still exist around mental health, men's mental health in particular, obviously? What and what do we need to do? You know, to if we had this conversation in ten years time to be talking about mental health the way we talk about physical health.
1: This is personal not yeah, necessarily of course, of a, an organizational position but I think we need to get to a place where we're not de- defining them in either state. It's o- it's overall health and well-being isn't yeah. it? And I think if you look at physical health we know men aren't even very good at going to the doctor when something's physically if yeah. an arm's hanging off to one side so to then put a layer of mental health on top of that we're just making that mountain that much harder to climb mm. men are programmed from a young age and we could talk about societal norms and masculine norms This the, the social construct men are told to be strong from a young age they're mm. taught to be stoic they're seen to be self-reliant yeah. and so is a a lot longer than 10 years from now to break that down but i think in order to role, role modeling plays a really really critical point in that more men coming out and saying i didn't do so well at this point in my life and this is what i did about it or didn't do about it and this is why i am here today every single time i see a man open up and show vulnerability he is welcomed in that moment and recognized as mm. showing strength and i think if you can give that um, experience to men and you saw it a little bit on on last last week on thursday yeah. night the the young handsome strong good-looking man who's able to sit on stage and tell you about the moment he attempted to take his life that he didn't see coming and certainly no one in his life knew about every single man in that room is leaning in and and respecting him for mm. having the she guts she to sit she on she stage she. and say that out loud. Nobody is thinking he's weak in that moment, yeah. and that is the flip. That is actually the the, the negative of what you think is going to happen. If you're a man you don't want to show vulnerability, you don't want to show this lack of strength, it is the strongest thing you could do is mm. take action and get through that moment. And I think when you see it live in person being role-modelled Or we see great spokespeople, you know, people we think of as strong showing this strength through opening up. I think that language is what will shift the sort of social structure around that.
0: It's incredible to see only this week for Mental Health Awareness Week that, you know, big Premier League footballers are opening up. And obviously Prince William talks about mental health a lot. I mean, obviously, this is huge progress. We didn't get this, you know, years ago. So, you know, hopefully the wheels are in motion to...
1: We then need all of the structure to be around that. We need workplaces that respond positively to that. We need insurance companies that don't then up your insurance premiums Mm -hmm. if you've admit you got a a mental health problem or have had depression or anxiety or anything else. So I think there's a huge amount of work to be done at every layer from the individual right through to the societal sort of systems level. But we'll get there if we're all kind of focused on that journey. It is the next big health issue to, to tackle because we will end up not much of a human race without it.
0: Yeah completely agree um sarah thank you so so much for your time you're welcome it's been incredible to hear all about Movember. um and yeah so if anyone wants to obviously have a look at movember's website it's movember.com um and yeah and you can find all the programs that we talked about on on the website
1: grow a moustache you'll find it grow opens mustache. up a lot of conversations yeah. for you because you look ridiculous yeah but you're doing it for a good cause grow a moustache <laughs> yeah
0: thank you so much thank you cheers sarah Thanks again to the show sponsor mojave's who produce footwear for time well spent check out mojave's.com to see their products and you can use the code mantalk with no space all capitals to get 10% off if you're struggling with your mental health please reach out to someone you know your gp or a charity such as calm or the samaritans help is out there thanks again for listening and take care